All right, so to kick off a new series, a little mini-series, is our lead pastor, Michael Hansen. Why don't you give it up? Woo! Woo-hoo! Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, chipper. That's a chipper crowd. Hey, uh, before I get into the talk, I just want to remind us, last weekend we wrapped up uh, our, a series called Redefined, where we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Andrew did last weekend. I thought it was an excellent talk, an excellent wrap-up for that series. And so if you missed last weekend or if you missed any of that series and you want to uh, catch up or maybe listen to some again, uh, please go to vcdc.org. That's our website. There's lots of information, lots of series uh, that you can listen to, etc. So make sure you check it out. Uh, in two weeks, this sounds very funny to my ears, but in two weeks we're going to be kicking off our Advent series. Uh, that means we're ramping up to Christmas. I don't know if I slept for three months uh, this summer, but that just sounds like, what? Uh, but this weekend and next weekend, we're going to be doing a, like a little two-part mini-series you can see there, Worship is a Verb. And, and let me set this series up this way. Uh, one of the truths about Christianity, about the Christian faith, that totally separates us from all the other religions on planet Earth is our belief that our God is alive. We don't talk about God in the past tense. We talk about God in the present tense. And we not only believe that he's alive, but as Christians, we live our lives. We act in such a way that we believe that he's alive and he's with us. Like we talk to him like he's right there with us. We pray. We, we believe he listens, that he hears our praise, prayers. We believe that he cares. We believe that he can do something about the things that we talk to him about. Uh, we believe that he not only is a God who is alive, who's with us, who hears, but he's a God who speaks. He's a God who interacts with us. Uh, we expect, we look for his guidance as we, you know, as we live our lives. And again, as Christians, unlike any other world religion, we believe our God is very alive and very with us. And one of the main ways that we demonstrate that belief, where we take that belief out of just our minds and put it into action, is through our worship. And so this little mini-series that we're doing, we're going to be looking at worship. And uh, uh, I think for many of you looking around the room, I think for many of you this should be a refresher but for some, this may be some new information or, or, or some new instruction as we look more at worship. But I, and I also realize that when I say the word worship, that could go in 20 different directions. And we've only got two weeks. So let me uh, narrow it down or give some context here. Look at this, uh, this picture. Boop, I've used this before. That's a worship pie. It is a rhubarb pie. At least that's what it looks like from here. And uh, when we look at that, this helps us understand, well, what do I mean by worship? So the smaller piece of pie is direct worship. Okay, we call that direct worship. It's what we just did from 9 o'clock till 9.26 or whatever it was. That's direct worship where, where we have gifted musicians, worship leaders uh, who, who through songs help us for this focused time as we gather together, help us focus on God. And with the help of songs and you know, lyrics and, and melodies, we get to declare who God is. We get to declare that our God is alive. We declare in worship that our God is with us. We declare you know, who we are as his children. Through, through worship, we get to express our love to God. We express our thanks to God. Uh, through worship, we, we express uh, our questions to God. 
So direct worship, the small piece of pie, is what we do when we gather together. The larger piece is called indirect worship. Well, what's that? Well, indirect worship is who we are for the rest of our lives, other than these little times that we gather together. Uh, That's why it's the bigger piece, who we are and how we live our lives when we leave here. You know, in a little bit, we're all gonna go out the doors and go get back into our busy lives. And, And indirect worship is how do we carry on the songs that we've just been singing? How do we carry on those songs in the way that we treat each other at home, at work, at school, uh, in the grocery store? How do, we, how do we carry on those songs in how we spend our time, our energy, our money, our, uh, our abilities, our opportunities? So that's indirect worship. So for this, for today and next weekend, uh, we're gonna be focusing on the smaller piece of pie on direct worship. We're gonna be talking about uh, Uh, worship when we gather together as a congregation. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we will jump into this talk. So Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for each one that's here. Thank you uh, mostly that you are here. And I pray that you would um, just awaken us to your presence. Lord, make us more aware of you. Help, help us, Lord. You need to help tune us into you today. So we welcome you here. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, have you ever wondered, talking about worship, have you ever wondered, you know, maybe you've been coming here for weeks, months, or maybe you've been coming here for years, but have you ever wondered, like, why do we give a third of our service to worship? Right, why? That, that seems like a long time for a sing-along. Right, that seems like a, like a pretty big chunk or, or an especially long warm-up for the really important part, the sermon, right? Well, let let me ask you this. Uh, What if the worship part is just as or even more important than anything else we do when we gather together? God seemed to think that worship was very important, so important that he, uh, he addressed it in one of the Ten Commandments. It says this in Exodus 20, God says this to his people, He says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection, your worship for any other gods. And in this command that God gives his people, like the language that he uses, we need to pay attention to it because the language that he uses teaches us something very important about worship. And remember, in this talk today, whenever I say worship, think of when we, when we gather together. But when God says in this command, he says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any of their gods. That language is telling us something about worship. Worship isn't just some, you know, some task or some concept. The language that God is using, it tells us that worship is something very personal. It's something very relational when we gather together to worship, to worship our God. So number one in your notes, if you're a, if you're a note taker, is worship is relational. And I, and I want you to consider this when, with that in mind. When you said yes to following Jesus, uh, that may have been a long time ago or maybe it's more recent, but when you, you know, took that step of belief, that step of decision where you said, I have a lot of questions, but what I know of you uh, makes me want to follow you, makes me want to pursue you. 
And, and have you ever considered that when you said yes to Jesus, that you, you didn't just embrace uh, you know, uh, a set of rules or a set of teachings? That when you said yes to Jesus, you didn't just embrace a religion, but when you said yes to Jesus, you embraced a person. Or more accurately, uh, he, he embraced us. He embraced you. Um, you entered into a relationship with him when you said yes to him. A very real, a very intimate relationship. And that is exactly how God has always intended it to be. All through the Bible, uh, he gives us lots of examples, a, a bunch of illustrations of his relational intent for, uh, for the relationship he wants to have with us. In the Bible, uh, we see God showing himself as our father and we're his kids. Uh, he shows himself as our husband and, and we're his bride. He shows himself as our, as our master, he, we're his servants. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the vine, we're the branch. He's the mama hen and we're his chicks. God, God desires relationship with us. He desires relationship with, with you. He doesn't just want this relationship to be some, just some cognitive uh, decision that we make, and that is so different. Again, it's one of the things that separates us from all other world religions. Because in other world religions, uh, the God, small g God that you're following is a God that you can never know. But the God we believe in is a God who's alive, who's with us, is a God who from the very, from day one, is his heart towards you and I has been, he's a come close to me God. He's a relational God. And sometimes I think, see if this, if this little picture helps, but sometimes I think we see our relationship with Jesus, we see it similar to going to a book signing of a famous author, okay? Uh, you're in standing in line, you're so excited, you know, you're at Barnes and Noble or, you know, wherever you buy books or if anyone actually goes to Barnes and Noble or just Amazon or whatever, but you're standing in line, you know, you got your, you got this book in hand, you get up to this, to the author and you get to hear their voice and you talk to them and you experience them a little bit. Uh, but then when it's time to leave, you don't leave with them, you just leave with their book. And I wonder sometimes, you know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want to give us his book. Hey, let me sign that for you, Right? Jesus wants to give us himself. And some of the fallout from sin is we have forgotten, we've forgotten that truth. We've forgotten that the heart of God, the invitation of God to every human being is come close to me. Because I don't think it's a stretch when you look at the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis, I don't think it's a stretch to say that uh, in the cool of the evening, God would go for walks with Adam and Eve. I mean, talk about relational. Could you imagine that? Hey, what'd you learn today? You know, monkeys are funny. And what's up with sloths? <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, I mean, could you imagine how relational that would be? But then sin enters in and it poisons the system. And it's like that understanding that our God is a relational God and that he can be known, that understanding and that expectation that he is a relational God, that expectation just whoop, suddenly was deleted from our brains. And one of the reasons we're doing this little uh, mini-series on worship is because in the vineyard, really, this is our heritage when we talk about worship. Relational, intimate, come close to me worship 
is part of the DNA of the vineyard. It's really one of the reasons I believe the vineyard movement exists. Um, From the start, intimate relational worship has always been a high, if not the highest value in the vineyard, the highest practice. There's There's a book called The Way In is the Way On, and it basically documents the the beginning of the vineyard movement. And this is a quote from that book. It says, worship was perhaps the first thing God told us to do. And then he had to teach us how. It's not new anymore and that's good, but it sure was new to us all those years ago. God took us by the hand and taught us to walk, giving us the simple instruction to sing to him and not just about him. This was revolutionary to us singing songs straight to Jesus. We sang love songs to Jesus and it was this intimacy that broke us down. It was this intimacy that melted our hearts. And from the start of this movement, start of the vineyard movement, God has been working and inviting us into that place of remembering. Remember. Remember his intent and what you and I were made for, for for worship that is relational. And he's been teaching us how to not only remember, but how to respond to his invitation of relationship. So number one is worship is relational. Number two, the title of our our series is Worship is a Verb. Uh, Listen to this quote. It says, worship is a verb. It denotes activity and action. It is not passive, but active. Worship is something you do, not something that is done to you. And it is something you must do. No one else can do it for you. You can be in a place where worship occurs, but that doesn't mean that you have worshiped. Now, I've got a runny nose. (laughs) That'll be great on the the recording. But thankfully, we have a mute button. Okay, there we go. Oh, I forgot to mute. Forgot to mute. But I think, (laughs) back to the quote, I think... Most of you would agree with that quote, what that quote says, meaning you would agree that, yep, I agree that worship is not just a passive thing, but direct worship. When we gather together, it's active. Worship is a verb, right? You need to, you need to engage in worship. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. But I also think if we were honest in talking about worship, the times when we gather together, we would say, but you know what? Worship is kind of weird. And I don't think I really get it. I don't think I really understand it. And, and I think that one of the reasons we struggle with worship is that it is just so foreign to us, the concept of worship. Just like, like we are not a singing, bowing down culture. Like uh, we do not live at a time of kings and queens where we as the commoners would, you know, they, they understood something about reverence and, and honoring someone who's, you know, royal and above you and bowing down and, and expressing that reverence to them. They sort of understood that more, but we don't live in a time like that. I mean, think about this. The closest thing we have to kings and queens in this country would be the office of president. And think of how we treat our presidents. Very little respect, let alone reverence, or let alone any worship. And I remember growing up in Canada, I grew up in Western Canada, and Canada has remained loyal to, to the Brits, and you know, to the royals in Britain. And I remember as a little boy, I, I don't know if it was the queen or who was coming, but someone was coming to visit Western Canada, and we were cleaning the place up. But um, I remember as a boy in school, 
the teachers teaching the girls how to curtsy and the boys how to bow. Because there was a chance that they, and they didn't, but there was a chance that they would come to our school and we would get to meet the queen. But I think one of the reasons why we struggle to worship and just understanding worship and how to express worship is because it's so foreign to our culture as Westerners. And it's even more foreign to our church culture. I mean, I was raised in the church and most of my upbringing in the church was, shh, sit still, stop fidgeting, right? And, and now it's like, what's the deal? I, was, I had to sit still and now you're saying, don't sit still, be loud, be more energetic in your worship. It's like, you know, it's just so foreign when we gather together in church. Uh, we don't need help expressing our delight in the sports arena. I mean, that just seems to be really easy. But it's hard for us we struggle to express our joy, our emotions when we gather uh, as a church. And I think a big part of it is we're like, we just don't know what to do. And uh, God is smart though, he's really smart. He has given us an entire book, the book of Psalms, uh, the song book of, of his people. He's given us an entire book, book to instruct us on how to come before him. If God is a come close to me God, well then a good question would be, well, then as his people, how? How do we come close to him? How do we draw near to him? Psalm 100 verse four says this. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. How do we come before our king? How do we come before our God? There's your answer. We enter God's presence with thanksgiving and praise. And many of you are very familiar with that. You've maybe heard that all your life, but if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, I sort of get that, but I don't get that. I mean, I sort of get Thanksgiving, I like turkey. Uh, that's not really where that's going, but that's close. But, but here's a better question, what does that look like? Right, because we're saying worship is a verb, it's active. So I think that's a good question. What, what does praise look like? Well, thankfully, all through the Psalms, there are lots of examples of what praise looks like. Listen to this, Psalm 47 verse one says, Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. That's a picture of praise. Clapping your hands is praise. Shouting is praise. And let me say something that, just to give some, uh, some instruction here. When we clap, I mean, clapping during the song, you know, is, is wonderful. You know, sticking on the beat, the two and the four, not the one and the three. And, uh, but when, when a song ends and we clap, Understand, we're not applauding the band. Like, worship, people who are called to worship don't want your applause. Because they understand and they're growing in their understanding that their whole job as a worship leader is to say, look at him. That's what a worship leader does, look at him. So what is our clapping, what does that mean then? What's our applause for? Our applause is one of the ways where we as a congregation get to, to verbalize, whether you're gonna say it or verbalize with our hands, Amen. When we clap at the end of a song, it's like, amen. It's like saying yes to what we are just singing, what we are just declaring about God. So that's our, you know, that's what the clapping represents. And so clapping is praise, uh, shouting is praise. Psalm 95 says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our making, maker. Singing is praise. That's, we're more used to that one. Bowing down, kneeling is praise. Now think about this. 
Other religions would say about Jesus, he was a great teacher, he was a great prophet. But if that's all Jesus is, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to bow down before a man, even a great man. But here's some audience participation. Tell me, who do we believe Jesus is? Just shout it out. God? Messiah? King of kings? Lord of lords? Think about that. Doesn't that, if we really think about what we believe, doesn't it just seem right when we gather together to bow down before the king of all kings? Doesn't that, does that make sense? So bowing down is praise before God. Uh, Psalm 134.2, lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Now this one I think, uh, this one can be kind of goofy to us uh, or odd, <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if, you know, someone's newer in the church or, you know, when they see someone like this, they, they think, does that person have a question? And, oh, no, they don't. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, no. But, uh, but here's what we need to understand about, about raising our hands. Again, here's, this is a sports, another sports illustration. Isn't it interesting that the global, I mean planet Earth, the global response to a goal or a victory is What? Yes, we do that, don't we? Right? Yes, it's just, it, and here's the thing. I love watching hockey. That's no news to you. But one of the things I do when I'm watching replays is I will ignore what's going on in the ice and I'll watch the crowd. And sometimes it chokes me up. I mean, I don't mean the hockey, like the, watching the crowd because you know what it shows me when that goal, when the puck crosses the line and you just see people jump out of their seats like that, that tells me that it's in you. It is in us to respond that way. And part of it is you just need to have the permission to do it. Because you think about if, if our God is alive and our God is with us and we're declaring that, are we not declaring the greatest victory? The cross, right? And, and some people with raising your hands, understand it's like some people, it's I surrender. I'm surrendering to you, God, which is a really good posture to take before God. Or for some, it's, you know, I love to, I need my outside to help my inside. And so I'll open my hands just this morning. I'm over there and it's a, it's a way of me going, Lord, I'm open to you. It's just a picture of openness. I'm not like this, I'm like this. Or there's, we say this a lot, like just open your hands. Take a posture of receiving from him. Or I know for some people with raising their hands, it's very intimate. It's like a child. Father, will you lift me up? So raising hands is, is worship. Psalm 149.3, last one. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. Dancing is praise. Playing instruments is praise. And let me say this. Here's, here's some of the fine print. <laughs> when we gather together to worship, we here at VCDC, we limit the use of instruments to those on the stage. Right? We let the, let the musicians play the instruments. But that doesn't mean we don't have, uh, you as a congregation doesn't have an instrument because you have your voice that you can sing, right? And you have, you have your hands that you can clap, right? You can participate there. And if you are a dancer, well, I want to encourage you to dance. That is praise. That is, that is praise to God. But here's what I would say. Remember, you're not dancing for us, you're dancing for him. And so I would encourage you, if you're a dancer, we have places at the back 
where you can go and dance during worships. Uh, typically Saturday nights, we have some dancers over in this corner, which I think is awesome. So dances, praise, uh, instruments. Now for some of you, if I'm, as I'm going through these expressions, some of these may be new to you. Some of these may be like weird to you or stre- very stretching. But I want to remind us that all these, and there's many more in the Psalms, these are not just examples of, so here's what crazy charismatics do, right? Or here's what patchouli-laden Pentecostals do, right? Or like those out there people. You need to remember that these are all biblical examples of worship. And you have said this to me, and I'm now going to say it back to you. Do we not want to be a biblical people? Last time I checked, the Bible is not a buffet where you go, I like that, I like that, but oh, whoop, whoop, I'm not touching that. And so here's what I mean by saying that. I want to encourage you to stretch yourself in worship. And again, worship, when we gather together, beyond what you may now be comfortable with, not for my sake, not even for your sake, but for God's sake. Because here here's the thing. God, this is the word of God we're talking about. And that tells me that Could it be that these examples, these expressions of worship are pleasing to God when his children respond in worship that way? Now, uh, you might be thinking, well, are you just, okay, is the goal you just want to have a busy, active room? Well, no, that's not the goal. And this is super important. The goal is not that we would all look the same or just have a, a chaotic gathering. The goal is that here at this church, here at VCDC, that we would be a church, we would be a people that are responsive to the presence of God. That's our goal, that we would be responsive, that whether we feel it or not, let me ask you this, whether we feel it or not, is God with us right now? Is he? Is he with us? See, and here's the thing, one of our biggest challenges challenges is God's presence is not a feeling. It's a reality. It's a truth. And one of our biggest hurdles is ourselves when it comes to worship. Right, because sometimes if you come into worship with a, uh, our, part of our fallen nature is we don't, if we don't think we're going to get something out of something, oh, why would I waste my time? That's part of our fallen nature. See, and, and, but the problem is when, it, when you come into worship, if you come into worship for what you get, you've missed the point of worship. We're worshiping him. It's not about you. It's not for you. It's for him. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. When, you bring a, when they would bring a sacrifice, they'd bring a little lamb to the temple, they wouldn't bring it and say, what do I get out of it? They'd go, well, nothing. The purpose of a sacrifice is it's something you give. But the truth is, and you, many of you know this, when you enter into worship and just turn your focus, engage your body, and really focus on the Lord, we get so much out of it because we get Him. Because worship is relational. And it's a way that he's given us to, for, as his people to draw near to him. Now, some of you may be thinking, uh, come on, really? Is it really a big deal when we gather together to worship? Is it really a big deal whether we're you know, engaged or not engaged? It's, you're just all hyped up on this because you're a worship leader and you're crying all the time. And you know, it's like, is it, really, is it really a big deal if we participate or not? Well, I believe as Christians, our worship, our worship, when we gather together, I believe it separates us from all other world religions. 
Because we don't just sing about a God as some historical figure. When we get together, we declare through our worship, through our song, we declare that our God is with us. And that changes everything. There's a story in the Bible where God and Moses are having a pretty heated conversation. And literally, God's like, I'm fed up. It sounds so out of character for God. I'm so tired of these people. You know, the people of Israel, they're so rebellious. I'm out of here. And he was going to, I don't think he would have left, but... But he basically says that to Moses, and Moses responds this way, Hebrews 33. Moses says to God, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people apart from all other people on the earth. So why, excuse me, why is our worship, why is us engaging in worship important? Because you know what? The world doesn't need just another religion whose God is dead and whose God is powerless. The world needs a savior. And see, when we gather together and we, whether we feel it or not, whether, when we gather together, we declare the truth that our God reigns and our God is alive and our God is with us and our God is love and our God can change any heart When we do that, it not only gives hope to us, I believe it gives hope to the world when the people of God rise up and declare the truth. I believe when God calls us to be his witnesses, that's part of the deal. We gather together and we we witness, we declare the truth of who God is. So here's what we're gonna do. Thus ends the sermon. we are gonna go back into worship. So if the worship team wants to come up, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back into a time of worship, of direct worship, and it is an opportunity for us now to put into practice what, what I've been talking about, what you've been listening to. And it's an opportunity for us to stretch ourselves a little bit. So, uh, as the band starts to play, here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. It's not a time to perform. It's a time to respond. So as the music starts, uh, I'm, I want you just to stay in your seats, which is a risk because that's very comfortable. But I want you to stay in your seats, but I would ask that just let the music play. Let, these people are gifted to lead us in worship. We have, to, we have to respond to their leadership. So let them sing over us. And I just encourage you to close your eyes. I would encourage you to open your hands on your lap. And I would encourage you to start a dialogue with God, the God who is alive, our God who is with us, our God who knows you. And just start a conversation, and maybe it would be something like, God, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you are with us. And, if, and if, I think it would be a, an honest prayer to say, God, please awaken me to your presence. Because I think for many of us, we've, we're, we're quite dull to his presence, and I, I include myself in that. Holy Spirit, come, awaken me to your presence. And so here's what I would ask of you. As you're in that posture, you know, interacting with God, as you get a sense of his presence, and I don't mean it may be a feeling, it might not, but there's just something clicks.
I would encourage you to respond. So that may, you know, whether it's standing up, whether it's raising your hands, maybe it's bowing down, whatever it is, the ball is in your court, all right? Let me pray for us and then, and then we'll jump in. So Lord, I thank you that you're with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do what we, we can't do. Lord, part of the fallout of, of sin, of Genesis 3, part of the fallout of sin is a dullness to you. And I pray today that you would come and just, you would, you would tune us into your presence. Lord, come awaken us, your people, to you. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.